My name is Sean McCann. I'm conducting expert interviews for the European Haematology Association at the annual meeting of the American Society of Haematology, which this year is in Orlando in Florida. And with me I have Mike Murphy. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming along. <laughs> Pleasure, Sean. And Mike is Professor of Transfusion Medicine at the University of Oxford, which of course is in the UK. Yes. Uh, and he is obviously a well-known, anybody who knows anything about transfusion medicine will know his name immediately. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to ask you is, when I was a medical student and a young doctor about a thousand years ago, um, like pints of Guinness, we were told that one was never enough. Right. You always needed at least two. Right. I take it that's now no longer the gospel. Th th that's correct. That was, <laughs> that was in the days when it was much easier for the laboratory to prepare multiple units of blood. They didn't want to have to go through the whole process again because they were using a, a long cross-match process. So they were individually checking the, the plasma of the, of the patient was cross-matched against some of the cells taken from the unit, from the, from the pilot line. And they were having to do that for every unit. Now we have a different process for what we call compatibility testing, where we establish what the patient's blood group is, and then we screen the patient's plasma against donor cells in what we call an antibody screen test. And if that is negative, then we can issue blood of the same ABO and RHD group without doing a further cross-match. So for the laboratory, it's much easier to provide units of blood in a sequential manner. For patients, it's much better now that they, for patients that need a top-up transfusion, that they just get one unit, the doctors carry out a further clinical assessment of the patient, check the relevant part of the blood count, hemoglobin or platelet count, whatever the relevant part of the blood count is, and then give another unit if it's needed, right. rather than thinking, right, I'm going to order two units of, of blood for this patient and give those straight away without checking. It means that patients are not, the, the, ris the risk of overtransfusion is reduced. Okay. So to, to, uh, to quote from Mies van der Rohe, the famous architect, less is more, is that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Don't give two when one will do. That's the, that's the mantra. <laughs> okay, you, uh, you talk or you write about restrictive blood transfusion schedules. Yes. Sounds terrible. Talk to me about it. <laughs> well, I think, I think it really we're, we're talking about restrictive transfusion practice which is really providing the patient with what they, they need, um, but not, over, not overdoing it. The greatest risk of transfusion now is not transfusion-transmitted infection or, or wrong blood events. It's over-transfusion. It's circulatory overload. That's the greatest risk of morbidity and mortality with transfusion. And so we want to make sure that patients who need transfusion get transfusion, there's, there's no delay, they get it as needed, but we don't over-transfuse. And actually it leads us on to uh, another topic, another um, 
series of, of words which is highly relevant to transfusion medicine these days, and that's patient blood management, which is really about optimizing the, the care of the patient so that they, they don't have transfusion unless it's really, really needed. We try and think of other ways of managing the patient so that they, they get good care, but we try and avoid transfusion if we can. Is there a risk of under-transfusion? Is that something you think about? Yes, absolutely. Under-transfusion is, is also Im important. I did a, 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 and that's something that con concerns me, um, there are really two scenarios, I think. One is a delay in transfusion for patients who are bleeding. And, and that's actually the second commonest cause of problems with transfusion. So we've talked about circulatory overload. Delay in transfusion for patients that need it urgently is a, is a real problem too. And hospitals now in the UK and worldwide have implemented what are called major hemorrhage protocols so that blood is provided very quickly from the laboratory or a nearby fridge. Uh, with red cells and plasma, so without delays of cross-matching or whatever in, in the lab, so that patients who are in that situation get blood quickly. What was the reason in your research that people were delayed? I mean, was it just a, a practical functional reason or was it an intellectual reason? No, not an intellectual reason, just lots of practical reasons. Poor communication, uh, between the clinical team and the laboratory that blood is needed quickly, time in the laboratory to provide the blood, even, even as simple things like transport, delays in getting a porter to take the blood from the laboratory to the clinical area, and then delays in the clinical area in actually administering it for various reasons, the patients having other procedures done. So a whole series of problems. Okay, so not, not one specific reason. No, not one specific reason. So coming back to under-transfusion now, I, I completely agree, Sean, this is something that we, we need to be careful of in these days of uh, ever-restrictive transfusion. Um, but I think it, it, isn't, um, it, it isn't a significant problem. We in, in Oxford carried out a study looking for patients who are under, who are potentially under-transfused. So we collected the data from all patients that had a hemoglobin less than six and a platelet count less than 10 over a period of time and tried to ide identify patients that hadn't been transfused in, in the next two or three days. And we found, we found some patients, but there were patients that uh, should be treated in other ways. They were patients with vitamin B12 deficiency or iron deficiency anemia, patients with ITP where the appropriate treatment would be steroids or yes. IVIG. But not platelets. <laughs> but, not, but not platelets. So while under we, we need to be con conscious of the problem of undertransfusion, we, we didn't find it in a study in, in Oxford. Let me ask you something which is a little bit tangential, I suppose. Yeah. Um, the plastic bag was, was sort of invented around 1950 yes. uh, and tested in the Korean War. But it wasn't until the mid-70s, I think, it came into the NHS. Right. Why was it such an awful long delay, do you think? 
I, I, can't, I can't answer that, but there are delays in, in implementation of, of lots of excellent initiatives. I too can remember the glass bottles yeah. from the very early early days yeah. when I was a junior doctor. Yeah. Um, certainly, I mean, I've written about things that changed the world forever. Yeah. I think the plastic bag did actually yes. change the world forever. Yeah. Okay, let's get on to something more controversial. Then. Right, okay. Guidelines. Right. Um, I have a problem with guidelines. I, I, I have two problems, actually. Right. One of most guidelines are far too long. Right. And I am guilty of having put my name to a guideline of yes. 20 pages, which I right. think is ridiculous. Yes. And secondly, guidelines may inhibit people from using common sense or their clinical judgment. Right. So obviously you're a, you're a believer, so convert me. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, so I, too, have written too many long guidelines, and long guidelines... Um, uh, inhibit getting over the information that's that's really needed, which re is is intended to help whoever it is the the junior doctor, the senior doctor, the nurse, the scientist to to help them do their job properly for the benefit of of patients. But they are guidelines. They they are um, they're not intended to be. In, in my view anyway, to be absolutely prescriptive. And uh, whoever it is, a, ju a junior doctor managing a patient in the emergency department, they must take into account their the clinical judgment that they have. And if they feel that, we're talking about blood transfusion, a patient uh, should be transfused at a haemoglobin threshold which um, is too high according to the guideline, then they should, um, they should take that, that clinical judgment into account and, and transfuse blood. Um, so I don't think that they, and nobody, if, if they've got good reasons to, to justify what they have done, if they are asked to justify it by um, their, their boring transfusion consultant or whoever it may be, then then that's fine. They can have a discussion about it and um, and ag agree or, or or not agree. But I don't think guidelines should be absolutely prescriptive. They're there to be be helpful. So you would take the opposite point of view to me. You think I, it, it stimulates people to make a decision, yes, or that makes it for them. Yes. Well, it's providing them with with evidence. That they they can use to help them deliver good good care, the guidelines, as as I've just described, may not may not be applicable in every clinical circumstance. Well, well it can't be. I mean, no, no. guideline can take no. into account every single possible no. clinical scenario. Yeah. One of the problems I have too is that the judiciary seems to think guidelines are rules. Right. Could you comment on that? Yes, well, I think that's, that's a misconception and we need to educate the ju judiciary about that to say that they are, they're, they're guidance. Yeah. Um, they're based on a, on a variable amount of evidence sometimes. And in transfusion, we've had uh, a proliferation of excellent randomized control trials. The evidence base for good transfusion practice is much better much stronger than it was, but many of the guidelines are still based on, on opinion. Right. And, and as, as we've just discussed, may not be applicable in, in every clinical circumstance. Okay, well, one of the issues, which obviously is not a, as big an issue now as it was, say, five years ago, 
was a tra transmittable infectious diseases. Yeah. Can you just say a word about that to maybe reassure trainees? Yes. So, well, transfusion transmitted infection has had a, a terrible history in, in relation to blood transfusion, uh, going back to the uh, 1970s and 1980s with HIV and HCV. And in the UK, we've had recent concerns in the, in the 90s about variant CJD. So, but the blood services have made huge efforts and strides in, in terms of reducing the, the risk of, of testing, of screening donors, making sure that donors are asked relevant questions about risk factors, and then the screening tests, which are uh, ever more, more sensitive. So the risks now of, of viral infection are in the one in hundreds of thousands, if not millions. One of the, the, the other risk is uh, major transfusion transmitted infection risk is with bacterial infection and platelet transfusion. And again, there have been significant strides with that in terms of bacterial culture of, of platelet concentrates. So again, the, the risk is, is very low. Patients still need to be aware of, of, of the risks, but they, but they really are very low now. Right. There, there is an inquiry, I think, in the UK That's at the moment. Correct. Why did that take so long? I mean, we had ours finally yes. a long time ago. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, that that's a well, it's a political question. <laughs> yes. Is, and, There's no uh, right answer. I'm just interested in your opinion. Um, well, it's it, it's difficult to know why it's happening. I mean, it is it is a political inquiry. Um, it's important that that lessons are learned, that it's that it's well understood what the issues were, why it was such a problem, particularly with the with the plasma that was being uh, brought into the UK from from overseas, which was the major source of the of the problem. Um, and it's understandable that families uh, want to know the reasons why and. Uh, I think in in the end, the the pressure told on the politicians, and he, here we have the blood inquiry at last. At last, yeah. Thank you very much That's indeed. A pleasure, so for young young investigators, as I used to teach my medical students, the medicine is fairly simple. The politics are the difficult. Bit. That's right. That's right.